0: I'm Sawyer Wooded. And I'm Scott Tress. Welcome to The Stories That Make Us. This podcast uses the tool of the Enneagram to explore the beauty and complexity of humanity through stories, both real and fictional. Some episodes, we interview live guests about their stories through the lens of their types. Other episodes, we'll dissect fictional characters to discover their types and learn more about ourselves in the process. Because the reality is, it can be hard to see ourselves accurately. The eye can see everything but itself. Thanks for joining us, and let's get to it. hey guys welcome back to the show great to have you here <laughs> what if i was just like an asmr <laughs> hey everybody thanks so much for joining you like click your dog what's so God. happy yeah you just have to be like really saliva <laughs> <you> so <laughs> thank you so much thank you so much did dog. you just say saliva-y? Yeah, saliva saliva e is that an adjective <laughs> thanks so
1: much for joining.
0: <laughs> anyway back to the show thanks for joining us today guys This is our second episode of our intro series, The Story of Type 2. Sawyer, can you give us a quick rundown on what it means to be a Type 2? Yeah, of course. So the Type 2, also known as the giver, has a core fear of being rejected, unwanted, indispensable, or being unworthy of love and affection. A lot of young twos felt neglected and like their needs were unmet. Growing up too quickly, they decided that they needed to meet everyone else's needs, And there's this belief that because everyone else is so needy, there's no room for them to speak of their own needs. And also there's this belief that other people's needs are more important than theirs. So this led the child to believe an unconscious message and that is that it is not okay to have your own needs. Yeah, and so as they're running from this fear, they run towards this desire. And that for the two is to be appreciated, loved and wanted. So in this whole journey, while we are running from our core fear and running towards our core desire, We are constantly tripping over our core weakness. What is the core weakness of a Type 2? The core weakness of Type 2 is pride. So a Type 2 will repress their needs and wants and desires, believing that they and they alone can help fulfill anyone else's needs, wants, and desires. Ultimately, making themselves indispensable to that person. Because if you're indispensable, then others can't reject you. Having your own needs is a liability. So they put on this humble and selfless persona all the while wrestling with this pride underneath where they deny their own needs. This pride also cultivates a lack of boundaries in the two. So they need a new path. They need the core longing. This is what saves you from the trap of your type. For type two, their core longing is you are wanted and loved. So as you'll hear us constantly repeat throughout this podcast, we believe that head knowledge of the Enneagram is one thing, but when it really comes to understanding what the Enneagram is, you need those personal real life examples and stories. So today we have a special guest with us. Sharon is a bilingual mental health counselor. She's a TBRI practitioner, which stands for Trust-Based Relational Intervention. And she is wife to Tyler and mom to three energetic, wonderful boys. Sharon loves working out, traveling, and getting coffee with friends. My conversation with Sharon was such a joy, and I am so excited to share it with you guys. Sharon is also a type two on the Enneagram. Enjoy. Sharon, thank you so much for being on the show today. It is such a pleasure to have you here, and I'm excited to show you off to my listeners, my friend. And what's really special about this one that none of the other intro podcast episodes are going to include is the fact that the person interviewing you is also your type. Thanks for being here, Sharon.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) Of course. So as we just dive in here, as we talk about what makes a type, we talk about the four core motivations. As we start, we start with the core fear. And for twos, that's of being rejected, of being unwanted, indispensable, being unworthy of love, especially apart from what they give to other people. Our core fear starts for us in childhood. That's when it first develops. So for you, Sharon, what was your household like growing up?
1: It's interesting because when I think back on what my household was like from my own perspective, I mostly have positive memories from growing up. There was a lot of play, a lot of fun, a lot of imagination, playing pretend being characters, things like that. That's really what I think of as my household growing up. But then as I've started to piece some things together from my childhood or some memories that do stand out, I start to see how not everything lines up, which is interesting. And I I do have a lot of traumatic memory loss. So I'm sure there are pieces of the puzzle I don't have. (laughs) But yeah, if you're a puzzler, that's really frustrating. (laughs) when You're trying to put it together and you don't have one of the pieces. Yeah. Yeah. So overall, I would say As I dive into the nitty-gritty or some of the harder memories is where some of the difficulties of what my household was probably like actually starts to come together.
0: Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. It also speaks to the tendency that twos have when we think about our memories. We tend to think they're positive first. (laughs) uh, It's similar. We share it with sevens and nines, but it's this optimistic outlook of like, things weren't that bad or things were okay. And then I think as we start to do more of the work, and realize, oh, I actually have... Deeper pain here that exists and it's okay to acknowledge that. Oftentimes twos as children felt like their needs were unmet. They felt neglected in some way, shape or form. And they could have the most doting, kind or attentive parents and still hear this message, which is just the mm-hmm. craziness of how brokenness works and the pain in this world affects a child. Yeah. So twos often perceive that their needs were unmet and they felt like there wasn't a lot of space in their households growing up to tend to their own needs. And so they had to Mm -hmm. tend to everyone else's. Everyone else was more needy than they were. And because the two has this intuition of being able to see other people's needs and where they can help and jump in and be there for others, the little child too felt that as well. And so because they saw this in their siblings or their parents or their primary caregivers, the two develops this attitude of, okay, others' needs first and then mine. What often ends up happening because there's no shortage of needs yeah, is that they never get to the and then mine part.
1: Yep. <laughs>
0: this leads a child, too, to believe this unconscious message in their mind that just plays, and that is that it is not okay to have your own needs. Mm-hmm. Does that message resonate with you?
1: It does if I think in terms of emotional needs. So if I think in terms of, which usually you think in terms of needs of basic needs, mm-hmm. food, shelter, Sure. all of that. But when I think of emotional needs, I think I had and have still a really high like emotional barometer for the room so I could sure. very quickly know in any scenario how everyone is feeling. I've gathered from now how I look back on my childhood that I was really paying attention to how everybody else was feeling. I think back on it and I remember feeling very... Frustrated with my own emotions. Mm. I had a lot of emotions and was often labeled oversensitive. Mm. And so when I think of my own emotions as a younger child, it's usually associated with feeling guilty, but then also remembering that I was constantly paying attention to how other people were feeling.
0: Feeling guilty for having your own emotions?
1: Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like I would, if I would get upset or cry or be emotional. I would just apologize over and over and over again, but then I would get in trouble for apologizing so much, and then I would apologize for apologizing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! And it just never ended. And it never ended. <laughs> yeah, that guilt—that's a word that I hear a lot of twos, twos share and use, and I relate to it as a two myself. There's such a guilt and shame of having your own needs and having, and part mm-hmm. of part of your own needs. What's under that umbrella of needs is emotions and. Right. Feelings and identity, and everything that makes you you. So it makes yeah. a lot of sense. What is a situation from your childhood, or maybe a story that you can think of where this message, it's not okay to have your needs, particularly stands out?
1: I have way more from adulthood. Sure. That I would say maybe shine a light on past yeah. <laughs> is probably easier. Okay. In trying to say here's something and trying to, you know, my family say here is something difficult for me. This is difficult for me. Maybe it would be easier if we didn't talk about this particular Mm. subject and that really not going well. Being responded to that was not kind to do, Mm. having a very strong reaction towards that through talking with different therapists and doing some of my own hard background work. I think I've realized that maybe that shines some light on some patterns Mm. that I had held a space for everybody else's emotions without any boundary and in that the uh, one I don't don't remember who said it or where it comes from that, but where someone else stops and where you begin. Mm. I don't think I had that. I had no sense of where I started, where somebody else ended. It was very bled together. And So I think that's why it's so hard to pick that apart from childhood Mm. because I don't have any times where it's like, well, this time I didn't get my needs met in this memory. Mm -hmm. I don't think I was trying to get that met. It was too scary. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So not until later as I became healthier and tried to look at what What even are my needs? Which that's even still scary to think about. What are my needs? I don't know. I don't have them. That's too scary. (laughs) So I'm sure that there were many times that there were emotional needs that needed to be met. And there's so much trauma there too, that Mm. I assume they just got buried deeper Mm. and deeper and deeper because it was just scarier and scarier to even say that I had them. Like Mm. survival said, no, sorry, those aren't okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what you're describing right there is called repression. Right? Yes, <laughs> and that is that is actually the type two's defense mechanism. There you go. <laughs> so, so every single type has a defense mechanism where once we start to feel our fear coming true or actualizing it in our world, mm-hmm. we employ this defense mechanism. For the two, it's repression. And that is repressing your own needs, your wants, your desires, and making space for everyone else's. And yeah. not just making space for them, but actively pursuing needing them for other people. You want this? Okay, let me get that for you. <laughs> or, oh, you'd rather me be this way? Let me change and be that way. Yep. For you. It's almost like this. I can be all things to all people. Yep. And I'm going to try my darndest to <laughs> be that. Yep. And so there's this message that plays in the mind of the two. And it says, As I continue to repress my needs and my wants using your defense mechanism, then I no longer have to feel needy or dispensable or dependent on others. Yeah. And when you're no longer needy or dispensable or dependent, then you can't be rejected,
1: right? you're safe. And you're safe. (laughs)
0: That's like the, that's what plays in the head. Yep. So I was going to ask you how you saw that defense mechanism in your life.
1: Yeah. I think I've mostly seen it looking backwards. I used that defense mechanism a lot growing up until becoming healthier. I think it is harder for me to see it present day. Yeah,
0: hmm, Interesting. So what did it look like?
1: The image I have of it is like frantic helping. It looked like frantic trying. Yeah. So one painful memory hmm. meets probably an example of this. I yeah. think this is where these two kind of combine is so my dad is a long story, (laughs) a very long story. Long story short, he he was a pastor, very different at church than he was at home, Mm. was abusive. And he was also very depressed, probably also had borderline personality disorder, Mm. possibly bipolar disorder. And he became suicidal when I was about 14. And he was just like, blank stare. And we were very, you can probably um, imagine the complications of this. We were also very close, which is very interesting. And so he became like very blank. And about three weeks before he actually did end up committing suicide, he was just blank stare all the time. And I remember writing notes, leaving little gifts out. I remember he was sitting on the couch and I just looked him in the eyes and said, I love you. And he just stared straight past me and said nothing back. Losing him you would think would be the most painful memory, but that actually feels more painful. And I think sheds a light on, I was trying to be the one to maybe I, maybe if I do this, maybe if I do this, maybe if I do this, I can take this pain and he mm. won't reject me. And so I think that's where I almost imagine just like this 14-year-old just sprinting around trying desperately anything. Mm. Yeah.
0: And Sharon, one of the biggest gifts you bring to the world as a two is connection, human connection and attunement. Seeing someone where they're at and entering into their emotions and yeah. and- trying to comfort them not trying to make their problems go away necessarily although sometimes we do that yeah but entering in and just being with someone when you bring that gift to the world and then as a small 14 year old you're doing that with your dad and it is rejected, right like it's not received in any way. yeah, it would make a lot of sense why then there's a message that says in your head, okay, time to shut that down. It doesn't work when I try to connect or when I offer myself in this way, it just results in pain. Yet, yeah, we keep trying because we don't know how else to connect with people. Yeah. And we keep oh, giving yeah. and giving. Mm. But then it's actually this, rather than this, I won't try anymore, which some types would probably be more right uh, apt to do. It's this, I'll try harder. This is, maybe this.
1: Maybe time. it's because I didn't do it this way.
0: Yeah. Or I didn't. I. <laughs> it wasn't <at> least, enough. <laughs> yeah. In my head, I didn't give enough of myself or I wasn't vulnerable enough. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just like, ugh.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because when you say little 14-year-old, it's just interesting, like, how quickly I think I felt like I had to grow up Mm. because it's, and this is a growing journey, learning to see myself at 14 as little. Mm. When I think Mm. childhood, I think that's anything before like 12 or 13. No, like Mm. 14 year olds are still children. Mm. (laughs) But in my head, that's when I was an adult. So childhood memories are so hard for me to find because I was an adult at 14, but that's not true. Like I was absolutely a child, but I do not feel like those years count as childhood years to like my child self. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's so young. I think it's interesting. A lot of us, I think, start to feel like we're taking on a lot of responsibility for things, especially, especially twos. Like we take on a lot of responsibility for other people's needs. Because it's like, if I see someone's need, then I need to meet it. I can't just see it and then ignore it. I think yeah. the story of the good samaritan always like I'd get so angry at those people who just walked by saw the new oh, walk by. Do, yeah. I'm really like I don't know how I could physically do that.
1: Yeah. Yes. Like without
0: being nauseous mm-hmm. feeling awful. Yep. And that's not necessarily a bad thing or a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it depends
0: on what's going on underneath. Yeah, there's a dark
1: side to it. <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: So we just talked about running from the fear and kind of the defense mechanism you use to keep mm-hmm. that fear at bay. The next piece is what you're running towards, and that's the desire. For the two, the core desire is to be loved and to be wanted. That's what we're chasing after. But because we don't believe that we can ever actually attain that or have that in this life, we end up settling for something. What we settle for is being needed. If I'm needed by you, that feels like I'm wanted by you. But the difference there is that one has a choice and one is not a choice. A-, a baby needs their parent and there's no choice. Like, yeah, they need someone to take care of them. There's no choice there. But when you have a friend who chooses you because they want you, when mm-hmm. they don't need you, but they want you, it's much scarier because they could reject you at any moment.
1: Yep. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs>
0: but it's actually what we really want deep down. Do you resonate with that?
1: It's interesting because when I reflect on these types of questions, mm-hmm. I think, no. Everything I do to help people is just out of love.
0: There's the martyr <laughs> syndrome. The,
1: yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I never serve out of selfish vision, yeah. ever. All yeah. Exactly. And the thought, even the thought of helping someone not out of complete altruism, I could really quickly get to a dark place of, well, then who am I? Mm-hmm. How bad am I that I would do this out of selfishness? So it's real easy to turn it inward and yeah. think, this is so good that I help someone. But if I help them for the wrong reason, then what's wrong with me? Yeah. So yeah. It can get real complicated. Yeah. But I think I do see this in a few different ways. So one being the way that I used to share that there's so much of my story I'm not sharing right now. I mean, like if sure. you ask me, I will. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I just don't always know which pieces to dive into, <laughs> but I used to just Share it all, any context. Because there was a lot of ideas of in the church, like they needed a testimony night. And they're like, let's see who has the worst one. Oh, Sharon, let's grab her because her testimony was really dramatic. And so I would share it all with the idea of, of course, I'll share all this out of just giving everyone what they need. And this is like what I should do. And so there's pieces of it where. I feel like a lot of the ways I've seen it and still sometimes see it is a lot of sharing and giving and emotionally just putting everything out there. So it's not because, oh, I feel safe with you and I'm so glad to share this story and let you carry my burden. It's let me just share this, even if I'm not sure I'm safe, if this will help so that all of your pain can come out so that I can hold it for you and you don't hurt anymore. So that's, yeah, I, yeah, (laughs) learned that in sharing and sharing over and over again and realizing how much each time that was hurting me, how I would, I would just be like shaking afterwards. I would second guess everything that I shared. It would just wreck me. And so as I started to heal, then I was like, I'm never sharing my story again. (laughs) ever. And then slowly with wisdom, okay, where, how much, when, why, what's my motivation behind it? But I definitely still catch myself feeling this need to keep tabs Mm -hmm. where, all right, if I shared a lot of myself, I owe them for them to be able to share themselves and hold that for Mm -hmm. them so that I can take away some pain.
0: Yeah. So this is why I do not like the title, the helper for twos. Because I feel like the helper is very much this energy of coming alongside someone, which is accurate. Like we do that a lot. Yeah. I think a more accurate word in what I always refer to twos as is the giver.
1: Yeah. Um, Yes. (laughs)
0: Because the way that we help is by giving. And there's so much that we just give, (laughs) even to the point where it's not helpful and we're dreams. And and Sharon, share with the audience about your (laughs) KitchenAid.
1: Okay. So people who know me know. And will laugh when they hear give associated with me because I often will just give things away with no thought. So it's like some, I had a KitchenAid. I only use it once a year to make Christmas bread and you need it for more things. Take it. I don't need a spatula. I can use a fork to flip things. So my kitchen's quite empty (laughs) because I'm often giving away kitchen things or a computer, <laughs> shoes, you name it.
0: And I love that we can laugh about it because it is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful thing. To be generous, right? And that, yes. I think that's another gift that we too bring to the world is generosity. I think it's one of the ways we reflect God because yeah. um, God is very generous. <laughs> the ultimate generous person. Yes. But yeah, it's also just fun to laugh about. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's also a point where it's like sometimes... Extreme. I think a helpful thing for me to think about too is every time that I give to one person... And say yes to one person, I'm taking from another, and I'm saying no to that other person. When I first heard that, I was like, because mm. <laughs> I just want to say yes to everyone and give to everyone. Yep. And the thought of I'm giving to one person that means that I'm taking from another. It could literally just yeah. be the time. Oftentimes it is. Yeah. If I'm choosing to spend time with this person, my mom really needed me for something, or I have a, another friend, or my sister, or someone who's like going through something, and but yeah. I feel like I've already committed to one person. It, and so it's just like when I say yes to too many things, yeah, I every yes to one thing is a no to another.
1: Yeah. Which can be a scary thought. Because that can rabbit hole real quickly, too, for me. Like saying yes to one person is saying no to another person. Oh, no. What's happening to that person I say right. no to? Exactly.
0: Yeah. Which is where the shoulds come in and the responsibility yep. and the guilt of yes. feeling like you need to care for another person when that's not actually yours to do in that moment. Yeah. And so Suzanne Stabil, she's like the godmother of the Enneagram. She's a two. And she uses the phrase, what's mine to do? Yeah. that's a question when she finds herself stressed or exhausted, or she's she can't identify what her needs are, or yeah, in those moments where there's just a lot of stress or something, she goes, well, what am I ever committing to? What is mine to do? Yes. That's that powerful question. Yeah. So there's, and we've touched on this, but I just want to name it now. Yeah. So there's a third core motivation, and that's the weakness. Mm-hmm. And so this is the thing you're constantly tripping over. For the twos, that's pride. It's this idea that they repress their needs, their wants and desires believing that they can help fulfill anyone else's needs and wants and desires it's not this conscious I can help everyone and I can fix everything yes it's this subconscious energy that just I feel and then I just move into action Mm -hmm. I feel like you need something or I intuit that you need something and then I'm just doing it not really thinking about the consequences (laughs) or who I'm saying no to just Mm -hmm. moved into it because there is this pride underneath that says if you are seen as humble and selfless to another person then they'll want you and they'll need you in your life who doesn't like a selfless and caring person so if I just appear as selfless and caring as I possibly can, then everyone's going to want me, mm. need me, because I can also help them with their needs. And I can also fulfill their desires and their wants. Yep. And so I once heard someone describe pride as being either more than you are, where we think we have these superhuman abilities to oh, yes. <laughs> meet everyone's needs, or completely plummeting the other way and thinking you're just the worst. No one will love me. I'm the worst. I'm so selfish, like despairing yep. in yourself. And both of those things are actually still pride.
1: Yeah, I think that's why learning a better definition of pride was really helpful because I think Mm -hmm. pride is a surprising one. And even in talking to people about the the pride being a weakness, people saying, you don't seem prideful. And it's because you're thinking arrogance. Mm -hmm. I don't appear arrogant. I'm very aware of how you will emotionally react to an yeah. arrogant comment and I'll see right. that in a half a second. But recognizing the savior complex in myself, I never like admitting that. And sometimes it's easier than others to see it. Sometimes I've been saving and saving and saving and then I'm exhausted and realize, oh, I see what I've been trying to do. Like I'm trying to help here and I'm trying to fill the list and I'm trying to help that person and say the right things. Yeah, I never want to admit that... But if I don't, then it leads to the despairing part of it, which I think what ends up throwing me into the despair part is a boundary. So as soon as I have a boundary put up, it takes me a while to get to a place where that feels okay. Boundaries usually send me into the despair of... I'm so selfish. I did something wrong. Maybe I shouldn't have. Was that the wrong boundary to do? Mm -hmm. I'm not so sure. And having to put some boundaries with my family, I do the despairing thing way too often. Mm -hmm. That Was that selfish? Was that wrong? I think I was probably wrong about that. I don't know if that was okay. I played a role for almost my entire life Mm -hmm. of being the one to listen, help, change, save, or try to. And then in not doing that, it feels like there's like a part of me that died mm. <laughs> and is, but is that okay? Should mm. that part come back to life? Mm. I don't know. So I see that in that way. And then I right. think same with boundaries present day. Usually the last place I'll end up putting a boundary is externally. Usually the one who gets the side of my, who gets the no side of all my yeses yeah. <laughs> is Tyler, my husband. Mm. Oh, I, this person needs this. Okay, great. Mm. Oh, this needs to happen. Great. My kids need this. Great. And that's the relationship where all of this just, it's really like you can shine a light on every area of Mm. it, of the, do you need me? Do you need me? Do you need me? But this person needs me, and I think it'll be okay if I say no to you, but do you need me? (laughs) Oh,
0: man. Realizing that.
1: Yeah, realizing that and... Being okay with saying no and having boundaries in other relationships and risking what I think people will think or what people might Mm. see me as Mm. to say yes and invest in a relationship where I don't always feel needed. Like I don't always feel like Tyler needs me because he doesn't. And that's a good thing. Yes, it is. He shouldn't need me. And so it's easier to say yes to the people that do because it feels better. (laughs) But then when I realize and when I'm in a relationship where, whoa, I am not just only needed. I'm not just loved for Mm. what I do, what I provide, what I Mm. give. Like Mm. it's literally just for who I am. And that's been a part of the growth part of this Mm. whole journey is being married to someone that doesn't need me. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Wow. I find that my adult relationship with my mom, she has shared with me, when she first found out that I was a two and I was telling her about twos, she literally was like, that's you. Wow. She was like, "Yeah, that's, that's you. And I'm very close with my mom, very close with most of yeah. my siblings and my parents. They know me very well. And so having my mom say that, I was like hurt. I was like, "Yeah, what do you mean <laughs> is this me? Of course this is me. Yeah. This is how I feel internally. And like, you don't see this? And it's interesting. I think it's because a lot of the outward helping of the two was not directed towards my family. And most of the time as an yeah. adult, it's still not directed towards my family. And so my mom goes, I don't see you as someone who takes initiative and helps in all these different ways. And she can see like the ambitious part of two yeah. and the caring, the sensitive, emotional part of twos. Yes. But she really struggled at first with the term the helper too, right? Because that's what most places call the twos. But I already believe her at that point. I realized recently in the last couple of years, I had a conversation with her and I was like, I think I know why you didn't think I was a two at first because I don't feel like you need me. I'm also not trying to earn your love because I already believe that you love me. Yeah. And so you don't see the all the two defense mechanisms of me trying to get all these things from you or trying to earn your love because I already know that you love me. Yeah. So I don't need to be the helper. Now that really reveals look at all these people who are close to me, the closest relationships in my life, my parents, my family. Yeah. They're getting all my nose because I'm saying yes to everyone else because I'm trying to earn everyone else's love. Yeah. I already know my family loves me. So I'm going to try to put all my attention on everyone else Mm trying to get them to love me. And it almost was like this kind of when I felt like I gained a friend or a mentor or someone in my life who like really loved me. Yeah. And like I finally grew to appreciate that love. My intensity in that relationship way calmed down. It was almost like I would move on to another relationship. Yeah. Okay, I got to go win someone else over now. And sometimes like those relationships would suffer because of that. And I hate to say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I feel like a big thing for me, a big growth point in growing in my two-ness has been to prioritize relationships. I even hate saying that sentence. There's a part of me that goes, how could you probably Relationship's <laughs> a priority. Exactly, right? <laughs> and that's the... People are a priority. Yeah, yep. That's the type two ego trying to... Oh, it try, is. Trying to sneak its head.
1: Yeah. <laughs> nasty
0: head in there. But prioritizing, seeing okay, what are the relationships that give me life, and our ministry, and our like all these things are important, and they all weigh, they all have weight. Yeah, that means that there are other relationships that I can't be their best friend, and that has to be okay, which is just really hard.
1: Yeah, because
0: I want to <laughs> be everyone's best friend.
1: Yep. <laughs> oh, don't we <worry>, though? <laughs> yeah. Yep.
0: <laughs> so anyway, do you have any thoughts or comments?
1: Yeah, no, it, it is interesting because I think in talking through my type and the enneagram and. Processing that with Tyler and seeing like what what parts of this do you see? I and think what type, it is, what type is Tyler. He's a three, okay. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it is really interesting to see him and people who are really close to me. It's so much easier for them to see some of the defense mechanisms, mm. to see more of that, especially for him to see more of that grasp for flattery yeah. that we have as twos. I hate mm. to think that I want that. A lot of did you notice? did you notice that I, but it's a lose-lose a little bit of, did you notice that? But then if he noticed it, it's like, you only noticed it because I I said something about it. So it's that appreciate me, appreciate what I do.
0: Without me having to say anything. Without
1: me having to say anything, which is super unfair because (laughs) who's going to notice? The person that dusted underneath the washing machine. Nobody else looks under there. (laughs) (laughs) But did you notice it?
0: (laughs) But it's so clean.
1: (laughs) Yep. <laughs> like, did you notice how I did that for that one person? Oh, you weren't there? I'll tell you about it. Do you appreciate that I did that? Does that mean a lot to you? So it's it's that grasp, grasp for flatter me, flatter me so that I know you want me, so I know you need me, so I know you love me. And learning to calm down mm-hmm. in that and moving towards growth. What does it look like to move more totally. towards growth, to know to know who I am in Christ, to be yeah. solid and more grounded? I think right. when I talk about that like frantic, that's when that like frantic Helpers coming out. Yeah. (laughs) Like the genie. What do you need? What do you need? (laughs) What do you need? Yeah. (laughs) You got three
0: witches. Yeah. You can ask for more wishes with those wishes. Exactly. (laughs) I'll just give them to you. You don't have to ask.
1: Fine. Here, take the whole lamp. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need it. (laughs) In my kitchen aid. So I see it in that. And yeah, I think the grasping in that way and in the never ending rush and run to receive someone else's pain if i've let them receive some of mine and even keeping tabs on that with god sometimes mm. i all the things that i perceive or have done wrong and then difficulty approaching that relationship because if i have been this way or haven't spent time with you or haven't done this like why would you want me to be close to you that doesn't make mm. sense to me i don't know that i've earned the right to be here and look you in the eyes. I'm terrible at knowing who said quotes and how to do the exact quote, but it's something along the lines of we've all failed, not just because we've sinned, but because we thought it wise to keep tabs in the first place. The keeping tabs and realizing like, no, like it is not a keep tabs on this. What did you give? What did I give? What did I give? to God, did I earn it? No, I am just loved and I can look into my father's eyes, you know? So, yeah.
0: I want to jump back to one of the things you said that I think is so important and key. You talked about this concept of flattery and two angles with flattery. One of them you mentioned of, hey, flatter me, but without saying, hey, flatter me. Uh, Yeah, We don't say, hey, appreciate me.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Sometimes (laughs) we get to the point where we explode in that. Yeah. (laughs) However, (laughs) oftentimes it's a lot more covert. It's like, we point out the things that we did we do the things that we do at times in front of people so that they see it or anything we do in private we then point out along those lines like it it's this thirst for like recognition, and I think we live in this tit for tat mentality, yeah, like, I'll give you this, you give me that uh-huh. Right? But almost always starts first, though, with us giving something so that we then earn something in return. Yep. Which is not grace. It's not.
1: Right. That's the complete freedom. opposite of what's been given yeah. to us. Exactly. <laughs> we did not give first.
0: Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Oftentimes, I find my flattery coming up where... And this is a kind of back with the core desire thing that we were talking of. Like, we want to be loved and wanted, but we settle for being needed. So one of the things that we end up doing is that we get fixated on this idea of flattery. I'll feel needed by you if you come to me with your problems. One of the things that I'm going to do then is flatter you. And flattery comes from this word that literally means like the flat of your hand, like Mm -hmm. to pet, right? Yeah. And so I'm going to dote on you. I'm going to give you my love. I'm going to I'm going to point out the specific ways in which you help me, or the specific things yep. that you do in your life that are so admirable to me, or the ways that I think you're awesome, or yep. this, that, the other thing. In hopes that one day, it doesn't have to be right now, but in hopes yeah. that one day you'll see those things in me, yes, or thank me for those things. Yep. I think that also there is a sad side to it too. Of wow, there's such a desperacy for affirmation. Going to
1: say desperate, yeah, I'll
0: yeah, say. such a desperacy for affirmate affirmation because that makes us feel loved, desired, and cherished and wanted. And seen, and and it's so hard for us because of our fear of rejection to actually express that we want those things or that we need someone to affirm us. For some people, it's not very hard to ask a friend for encouragement. Yeah, it is so difficult for twos because yep. when I ask you to encourage me, I'm giving you all the power right now mm-hmm. to completely reject me or to say no to a need that I've expressed. Yeah, which just feels like death. And how sad it is that is the response of me not being able to actually just ask or I'm able to but how much energy and fear is behind asking someone for something yeah.
1: and then if they give it believing them Ugh. I think that's a big part of it too is enough vulnerability and trust and safety in relationship to let that just be yeah and believe it yeah yeah and I, I don't know for me that has had to start with asking for that from god and Mm. hearing it and then just believing it not being like well yeah for other people but not for me Mm. well yeah of course for them but not for me for no that is truth about me and it has to start there because Mm. without believing and trusting it there it's that yeah it's the frantic giver running around yeah asking and then receiving it and you know tossing it out saying that's probably not true right Which is really unfair to people who are genuinely trying to give and encourage you.
0: I remember I was in this really codependent, unhealthy relationship in college. We're very present-minded people, too. Very (laughs) present-focused. Like, what is happening now? What are the needs now? We're probably
1: literally doing it now. Constantly. this uh, A a podcast with two twos is quite interesting (laughs) because I guarantee you we're constantly like, is he okay when I'm talking about that? Is she doing all right when I'm talking about this? What do they need? What What
0: can I say that will help prompt her?
1: (laughs) (laughs) What can I say back that will help him? It's a lot happening.
0: (laughs) Call me out right then and there. That was good. So this present-mindedness, when my friend would tell me that he loved me, it meant so much in that moment. Yeah. Especially if it's coming by like a hug. Or like Mm -hmm. physical touch. That's also a huge thing for twos. Totally. Huge, huge. So get a hug. Tell me he loves Mm -hmm. me. Feels great. It could literally be an hour later. And I'm like, does he still love me? Or the next time I come with a need or something and I bravely share it. Yeah. There's this thing going on in my head saying, Maybe he doesn't care enough. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't actually really love me. Mm -hmm. And that's just one example. I've had that with multiple relationships in my life. And you just come to a breaking point eventually it's utterly exhausting. Yeah. And if I would have a conversation with him where he wouldn't tell me that he cared about me or wouldn't meet one of my needs or something in some way without me speaking it, because I'm yeah. just assuming he's gonna read. <laughs> right. it Right.
1: Re- of course i will read our mind. <laughs>
0: I read I project and read your mind all the time. Why can't you read mine?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> I would just feel so down in the dumps if I didn't receive that affirmation. It would just be like there's yep. nothing I can do to make myself lovable yeah. or like it, just despair.
1: Constantly looking for it. Yeah. yeah, constantly looking for proof, I feel like. Yeah. like Where is the proof that I'm loved? Mm. Trying to do that with just humans? <laughs> it's impossible. Yep. Yeah. They're always mm-hmm.
0: going to fail us. Yeah. And you can bet that almost every other type has better boundaries than we do. So they're probably going to say no to us at times too. Yeah. And that's actually okay. That's yeah. That's really healthy.
1: It is. It's a good thing. Yes. Yep, it's, it's a good, a good thing. thing. Yeah. Even though it feels like that. There have been times. There's times where my help wasn't received or wanted. Mm. And I cried hard Mm. about that and really questioned, what did I do? Did I hurt them? Did I do Mm. something? like Mm. I don't understand. I literally could not process why was my help in that moment Mm. turned away? This is who I am. And that's Mm. been good to reflect on the times that's happened and say, no, it's okay for me not to be the one sometimes and to learn to pause and to just look at my motivation Mm. like what's the motivator behind my yes what's the motivator Mm. behind my helping and that's really helped me grow in when and why and how i give
0: wow i could not have said that better (laughs) seriously yeah i relate to that a lot so we've touched on this but yes what saves us from this exhausting journey yep and that's the fourth four motivation that's the core longing. This is yep. what our heart needs to hear. It's what our head needs to hear. It's what Our bodies need to feel. It's what our spirits need to feel and hear. And, yeah. And it's what we need to believe. And for the twos, that is that you are wanted and you are loved apart from what you offer. Yeah. You are not wanted and loved just because you give. Yep. When you have nothing to give, <laughs> you are wanted and loved.
1: Yep. And my first response to that is, I don't need that. When I look at that list, actually, a friend of mine, shout out to Holly, (laughs) got me a mug that uh, that basically says that. And it takes a minute for me to truly admit that resonates. Because my first thought is, I don't need that. I don't need to know that. And that is just defense mechanism to the max. But when I sit with it and hear that, it really does take a while for the walls to break down. Yes. And me to admit that I need that, then speak that, and then hear it, and then believe it. It's like that step process is still going on.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. The easiest relationship for me to see this in is with Tyler. And it reminds me a little bit of Goodwill Hunting, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's not your fault. Yeah, I know. No, it's not your fault. I know. Yeah, I know. Doing that dance with Tyler, I love you. Yeah, 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 I know, I love you. No, you don't. I love you, and you probably don't. I love you, and then having safety and trust and believing it, and being in a relationship where not pushing it aside, but having enough growth and healing to hear it, believe it, speak when I need it, hear it when I've spoken it, and believe it again. Ooh. Like it's such a healing process in that longing and growth. Yeah, yeah.
0: I can't tell you how many times I'll receive a text or something where a friend of mine, like a dear mm-hmm. buddy or something says, I love you. And I'm just like,
1: okay. Yeah.
0: Like it doesn't really sink. Yeah. So I relate to that. Yeah.
1: Because to let it sink, you really have to tear the walls down. It's a vulnerable, scary thing to just be the receiver. Well said.
0: One of the things that we want to do in these episodes is offer a way forward. Mm-hmm. And we've talked some about it. Like we've talked about multiple things already, boundaries and putting our value and who we are, not what we do. But there's a couple of things that I always want to, I want to recommend to each type. And so one of the things is these breath prayers. And so for the type twos, you breathe in, breathe deeply, and you breathe out the message that I am loved, I am wanted, I am cherished, I am desired. Is there anything that you would add to those words?
1: I'm seen. Oh, yeah. Accepted. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Ooh, accepted. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I also really love the one I didn't put in, but it just came to me. I also love I am heard. That feels really poignant for me personally.
1: Yeah. Valued would be another one. Yeah. Yep. And valued, but not with currency of what I give. Just because. You exist. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> yeah. The fact that you're here on this earth, whether someone believes in God or not, like yeah. the fact that you're here on this earth is important. Yeah. And valuable.
1: Yes. You are just valuable. Right. And I think I really notice it with a breath. Prayer like that—that that it is a hard exercise for me. It is a tough one for that to feel, for it to feel true, and to really believe it and let that sink in. Yeah.
0: Another thing that we want to recommend to people is an affirmation too. Affirmations are good for us to speak over ourselves. They're very hard. Mm-hmm. I think similarly for too, Why breath prayers are hard is probably the same reason why an affirmation is hard is because you're alone when you do it. First of all.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: If I'm alone, <laughs> then no one can tell me who I am.
1: Yep. Uh, yeah.
0: And so. I have to actually have security of being alone and allowing myself to be loved yeah. in that space. Yep. When I'm not demonstrating my lovableness yeah. to anyone and
1: looking to everyone else to right. tell you your value.
0: That's right. And so the affirmation for the two is that I am wanted apart from what I give to others in the form of help, service, or love or care. Those things are good things. My help, my service, my love and care are good things, and yeah. they're valuable and people. And they're value beautiful them. things, they're and, beautiful. and you
1: know, healthy times, they come from a great and loving place. We don't stop being givers. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Keep being a giver.
0: The world desperately needs people who see the needs in the world and then take action to to help remedy and Mm -hmm. heal, right? Yeah. But to know that's coming from a place of not finding our identity there, and that's not how we learn that we're loved.
1: Yeah, when that's
0: coming from a place of our cup is already filled with love, knowing that we're loved and wanted. Yes, and then the cup overflows and affects all the things around it. Yeah, as it spills just onto everything else. Yep. If you think of a tree, the roots and the trunk of the tree are this message: "I am wanted and loved." And then imagine this strong tree that grows out of that message. These beautiful branches and leaves show up, and this is the virtue, and that's humility for the type two. Yeah. So believing the message that you're loved and wanted grows into this tree that then bears these branches, these strong branches of humility that say, I'm no more and no less than who I am. Yep. It's this confidence, this autonomy of I am me. I have boundaries so that I know that I'm myself Yeah. and I'm not merged or confusing where I begin and where someone else ends, like I said earlier. Uh And then as those branches grow, they then bear fruit. The virtue of humility then cultivates the fruit of pure, unconditional love. Yeah. Humble love is a love with no strings attached. Yep. There's no, I'm serving you now so that you serve me in the future. No, I'm giving you love so that I feel loved. Yep. It's just, I'm serving you. Yeah. I'm loving you because you need it. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. Period. And it ends there. And then you go home and you are still your own person and you haven't given away what you shouldn't have given away. Mm -hmm. You've just given what is an excess of. What's already flowing out of you, right? How have you seen this show up for you in your own life?
1: Yeah, I've seen this, I think, in learning to have margin. And i literally, and I have learned this from some wise people along the way, (laughs) picturing it like literally the margin of a paper. And so as my roots have grown deeper in starting to really believe that message that I am loved and valued, wanted and cherished, and I don't need to give and give to be accepted or to be valuable. I've watched it go from scribbles all over the paper, like going on the edges, writing on the back, Mm. writing in the corners to keeping it within the boundaries of the margin of paper. You can't make sense of notes that are just all over the place, which is how I take my notes in actual life. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's very, it's it's very creative. (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. But it's hard to make sense of those notes. It's hard to move forward. It's hard to look back and say, what did these notes even say? What was this? Why? So when I have more margin, when I'm more grounded, there's just more sense made of what I give. Like I can make a whole lot more sense out of what's happening inside of me. I can make more sense out of the why. I can make more sense out of myself.
0: That's really well said. That's a lot of boundaries. Boundaries work. Yeah. I like mm-hmm. the word margin though.
1: Yeah. Margin and motivation. I think really watching my motivation for things and my beliefs about myself and when I'm in those despairing times, what pulls me out and what I chose to pull me out, did it really? So if I'm despairing, hmm. am I going to rush to do a bunch of really helpful, amazing things hmm. because then I just stroked and flattered hmm. my own self okay, no, I'm actually not that bad. Yes. Phew. Yep. Or... Am I going to be despairing and listen to truth and listen to the voice that says, nope, you're loved and cherished for who you are. Don't go frantically giving, giving, and doing, doing, do. And do. Whew. It's okay. Yeah.
0: For the two, a couple of practices that I would recommend would be one is enter the mental realm of solitude. That often means that you need to actually practice being alone and practice um The Jewish idea of Shabbat, right? Yeah. Or Sabbath, Yeah, we call it. Or Um, just
1: stop. Or just (laughs) stop. stop. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, literally. (laughs) What does it mean to stop doing, to Mm
1: -hmm. just be? Yeah.
0: And so two is a really helpful way to practice that is to actually spend some time alone. Mm -hmm. Whether that's take a day a week or take a morning a week or take a evening a week, like depending on your schedule or your occupation or whatever. However it allows, creating margin in your life to have some solitude. Yeah. Where you can say, Okay, I'm not helping anyone, so I can't be seen by anyone right now. So I can't find my value in other people. And that's actually okay. Yeah. And taking some deep breaths. And it's going to be hard. It's very hard. It's still very hard for me to do. Yeah, so it's so hard. (laughs) And I've been aware of this for years. Uh Uh-huh. So that's one of them, practicing that. Another thing is to journal and think about your feelings. We tend to just feel and move, as I said earlier. As we kind of talking about, I I asked Tyler
1: this morning actually. I said, Do you feel as though my feeling muscle is stronger than my thinking muscle? And he was like,
0: (laughs) Starts laughing.
1: Yeah. We'll take
0: that as a yes. 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 Yep. Sounds about right. And so something that's helpful to do is journal. Journaling helps slow you down and actually verbally process your feelings. So The way your brain processes when you journal is very similar to the way that it processes when you're Mm -hmm. verbally processing with someone. Yeah. And I like the journaling because you have to actually write slowly. Yeah. Uh, I like and hate it. I don't like to slow down. So (laughs) when I actually do, uh, it's really helpful. And I feel like I'm in a place where my walls come down and I can receive the message better. Yeah. Two more practices. One is practice saying no to people in your life who ask for or expect your help. Another mm-hmm. thing with twos, people will come to expect your help. If you constantly give, give, mm-hmm. they'll then start to expect that you're going to continue to do that. And so they might feel frustrated with you when you start to put up boundaries. Yep. But that's also okay. Mm-hmm. People being angry at you does not mean that you are no longer wanted in love. Yes, right?
1: yes. <laughs>
0: Got to drill that one in Absolutely. My head. The reality is that those people are not going to be uncared for as a whole or in their lives. They're not going to then just tank just yeah. because you said no.
1: And I think too that... I've- learned in that what do you take away from someone Mm. that if you are just extending beyond what you really should be doing you take away some of the space for them to grow Mm. and flourish and do their own work that they need to do
0: yeah what's mine to do and what's yours to do yeah yep and the final thing is practice affirming yourself i once heard someone say to me Treat yourself like you would treat your best friend. I like that. Because <laughs> I'm going to be there for my best friend. I'm going to mm-hmm. listen. If they're in crisis, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to listen. I'm going to care for them. Yep. Why don't I do that for myself? Yeah. And so that's a good mm-hmm. challenge to all you twos out there. Uh, yeah. Treat yourself like you would your best friend. You'll find that your relationships will actually be enriched and more fulfilling and more wonderful than you could ever imagine, which yep. is what you want as a two, right? Do you have any closing thoughts or anything that you want to share or say?
1: Yeah. My only closing thought is yeah. if we grab on to those truths with the fierceness of an eight, that looks really beautiful. Because <laughs> man, will we believe those and we won't listen otherwise. That's mm-hmm.
0: right. It doesn't matter what other people say. Yep. Sharon, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah.
1: Thank you it's for having wonderful. me. <laughs> yes.
0: You just being here yeah, has been great. <laughs> it has been valuable and you're awesome. Thank you. Hey friends, thanks for listening to today's episode. Isn't Sharon great? You'll rarely find a person as kind and generous as Sharon. I am so glad to be friends with her. We hope that today's episode helped you understand the type 2 on a deeper level. If you have any type 2s in your life, will you do us a favor and send them this episode? Let's spread the word about these wonderfully demonstrative and caring people so that we can understand them better and remind them that they are wanted and loved apart from what they do for others. Amen. As (laughs) a 2 myself, I know that message hits me at my very core (laughs) Speaking of twos, in case you were wondering about the music you hear playing in the background right now, that is one of my original compositions, titled Two, from my album Ennea Songs. Ennea Songs is a nine-song album, each song correlating to the Enneagram type that shares its name. It is available anywhere you listen to music. Give it a listen for me. I hope you enjoy Finally, my friends, please rate us on Apple Music, give us stars on Spotify, promote us on socials, all the things. We believe strongly that people need to grow in self-compassion, as well as compassion for others, and this podcast seeks to aid in that. So go ahead and share it with your friends, your mom and anyone else who you think would like to listen to it. Always remember, we need a tool like the Enneagram to grow in self-awareness because what you don't own owns you. Be well friends. Only to please you, pleasing you. Longing that you finally see me longing to place my value not in valuing the things that you say.